knowing who your supportive folks are can really help back you up in situations when you feel like, okay, my child just confided in me X, Y, and Z. I'm going to turn to this trusted person as a resource because I know that I'm not equipped to handle all of this as a parent, as the person that's going to be supporting my child through this. Welcome to A Way Through, brought to you by Archway Academy, Houston's Sober High School. Twice monthly, we join recovery advocates, industry-leading experts, and medical professionals to discuss topics about adolescent addiction, the effects of social media, and what it means to be a teenager in this day and age. The goal of this podcast is to create a space where professionals can come together, share insights gleaned from working with teens and their families. We also strive to be a resource for parents with teens recovering from substance use disorder with care, compassion, respect, and rigor. We believe that although it may be hard to see it now, something different is possible. This is A Way Through. My name is Andrew Warren. I'm the admissions specialist here at Archway Academy. And we're here with Kristen Wilson from Newport Healthcare. Newport Healthcare is the country's leading treatment provider focused on delivering the highest quality care and specializing in the treatment of teens, young adults, and their families who are struggling with depression, eating disorders, trauma, substance abuse, and many other mood disorders and addictions. Kristen is passionate about the integration of holistic care with adolescents to address the stressors that teens face. She believes emotional resilience allows teens to adapt to stressful situations or crises. She holds a master's degree in psychology and creative arts therapy. Kristen's belief in holistic healthcare is further demonstrated by her certification as a yoga teacher, which is really cool. So welcome to the show today, Kristen. We're super glad to have you. We appreciate you taking the time to come on and share with our listeners. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. So parents, when they are with their young people, with their adolescents, a lot of times I imagine they ask themselves, is this normal teenage behavior or is this something more? What are some of the signs that parents should look for when it comes to their children and whether or not they might be dealing with the mental health stuff? Yeah, it's a great question. And I always say, you know, parents have this guttural instinct. And so I want to validate to really trust that instinct. If you're feeling like something's off, chances are something's off. But really, we schedule it around like a baseline of behavior. So you know your kids the best. And if you're starting to notice that their behaviors are changing, things like eating patterns, sleeping patterns, Social patterns. You know, if you have a kid who's typically really engaging and likes to be out with their friends and all of a sudden is starting to withdraw or isolate a little bit, that could be a red flag. Kids who have emotionality, um, if you're noticing crying, if you're noticing high levels of anxiety or worry, these are all sort of some baseline red flags. But I always say it's a good thing to compare your child to your child. And so really kind of understanding that baseline is a great place for parents to kind of, you know, start. And then we know that mental health can oftentimes manifest physically. And so things like kids who start to complain of headaches or who say their stomach hurts, they don't want to go to school or they don't want to participate in that activity that they normally really enjoy participating in. Again, these are all kind of baseline red flag behaviors. I like that. Um... 
compare your child to your child. Sometimes there will be signs and symptoms that are on the surface, very visible. We notice it, clinicians, parents, and it's a red flag that lets us know, okay, we need to address this. Sometimes it's not so apparent. Sometimes it's a little more under the surface. And so I know with mental health professionals, we have to ask certain questions and broach certain topics and have certain discussions. So what are some of the conversations or things that you think parents can do or should do in order to create that conversation? Yeah, I think there's a few a few things. First is kind of how do you as a parent set yourself up for success when you're trying to have a difficult conversation or ask a question that might be anxiety producing for you or your child? And so I think coming from a place of inquiry, unconditional love, and really being able to actively listen. And this is a skill that, you know, I have a teenage daughter. I'm also a master's level clinician. It's a hard skill to have because you want to help. You want to jump in. But really being able to set the stage in a place that's not going to create automatic discomfort, probably not in a public area, probably not around siblings or friends, really kind of taking the space but coming from a place of just really asking questions and wanting to understand what it is that your teenager is saying and thinking and feeling. I think if you can set the stage that way, it opens the door to having a more open conversation with your teen. And so, you know, asking questions of a teenager can be difficult because we get the theoretical one word answer, right? Like, how was your day? Fine. How was your test? Fine. How's your friend Sally? Fine. And so it's about then what do you do, right? So if you ask a teenager how they're feeling and they say fine, then maybe you follow it up with a sort of subset of questions. Like what was the best thing that happened today? Or what was something that made you kind of question your decision today? Really starting to frame the questions around open-ended answers so that teenagers have the opportunity to elaborate or expand on those typical one-word answers. Another really good way to kind of start to talk about feelings is using a little bit of a scale. And so what we do at Newport and what I've done as a parent is if your child is expressing a certain feeling, let's say it's anger, like I really was angry today and frustrated, on a scale of one to five, one being like, you're not angry at all. And five being, it's the most angry you've ever been. Where would you say that situation left you today? And let them sort of assess the level of emotionality that's attached to the situation. And then ultimately be there to support them in finding coping mechanisms to get their anger or their frustration or their anxiety back toward the lesser end of the scale. And so I find that like allowing teenagers to scale themselves can be really helpful. I really like to ask you what you have to say to parents, because both of those questions and answers, I'm thinking it takes a lot of work by the parent to even be prepared. And if your kid says, I'm at a five, that's very emotionally deregulating for the parent. Mm -hmm. And we're not always ready to hear that. And then we're not always emotionally prepared to respond in a way that is best for the situation because we're acting out of our fear. We're acting out of a, a lot of emotional dysregulation. So I just always want to offer support and comfort to parents who may listen 
because it's not easy and it's not something that you are equipped with just because you're a parent. It's not something that comes natural for most parents. And so can you talk a little bit about that, about how parents can do what they need to do for their own self-care and to get themselves to a place where they can have these conversations and they be constructive? Because I know I tried to do it without help and I just added to the mess of a situation. Yeah. And I think, thank you for kind of putting that and posing that situation. And I'll tell you from personal experience, even, you know, as a trained mental health professional who's worked with adolescents my entire career, and it's going on 28 years at this point, when my own daughter was struggling, I had knowledge of all the resources and tools at my fingertip, but you go right into mom mode and everything else sort of, you know, falls away. So even for people who have all of the knowledge, it can be a really difficult conversation to venture into and obviously activates your own nervous system when you're in those conversations. And so what I like to tell people is that you have to look at this idea of it takes a village, right? It takes a village to raise a child. There's a reason why that saying is there. It also takes a village to support parents. And so knowing who your supportive folks are can really help back you up in situations when you feel like, okay, my child just confided in me X, Y, and Z. I'm going to turn to this trusted person as a resource because I know that I'm not equipped to handle all of this as a parent, as the person that's going to be supporting my child through this, as a person who has a full-time job or other kids or is a caretaker of other people. We all need those folks in our lives at different moments to really help support us. And so it's important to know who those people are. It's also important to know that you are not necessarily the primary person or the only person who can give support to your child in that circumstance. If your child has confided in you that they are having, you know, a burden when it comes to mental health, if they're having overwhelming anxiety or depression, you need to trust that there is a person professionally who's going to be there to help your child. And so it's about finding the resources that you have, asking the right questions of those resources, whether it's a you know a counselor at a school, whether it's your primary care pediatrician, your own doctor or therapist that you might have as a parent. Um, but it's about sort of networking the the supports that you have in place on behalf of your child and on behalf of yourself in the situation that's being sort of posed right now. You know, as mom to mom, you and I talking, and I would imagine to some extent, this is really true for dads too. I'm not a dad, so I can't speak directly to it, but we feel like if something is wrong with our child, we're the expert. And we need to be the one to provide the care, the love, the support, the encouragement, the right words, the right environment. You know, we just step into all of that. And I think it's so important for parents to know that that's not true. That's something that we take on and we make up. And so I love hearing you say that, that it takes a village. And like, it's totally okay not to have the right answers. It's totally okay not to know what to do, that our step is to step that our, our next step is to step out and ask for professionals and ask for support to do that. To go back a little bit to what we were discussing, we do a few parent presentations during each month. And one of the topics is parenting, balanced parenting, some skills, some tips, some tools. And a lot of what 
we talk about during those presentations is something from a book called The Heroic Parent by Brad Reedy. And Brad Reedy's a therapist and of course an author. And one of the things he talks about that parents seem to really adapt to and really enjoy hearing about is reducing the noise. So Jamie, by the way, she's been a key source of some of my presentations just as a parent with lived experience. She has a wealth of knowledge, but she mentioned how as a parent going into a difficult conversation with someone that thoughts are racing, you have these beliefs that I need to be the, the source of their wellness. I'm the mom, I'm the parent, and that can kind of get overwhelming. And regardless of whether or not that mindset is right or wrong, the question we want to ask ourselves is, what are my intentions when I'm asking these questions and just sort of reducing the noise? So for example, in single parent households, sometimes there's guilt or there's, well, I need to make up for the dad being gone. And so there's there's almost like an overexertion of self. And just to sort of ask, I know it's important for parents to ask themselves to reduce the noise is, okay, am I doing this because I'm feeling guilty that dad isn't here or mom isn't here? Am I doing this because I'm overwhelmed? Am I, you know, just to ask those questions. And that's important. So I, I kind of, it sounds like that's what a lot of what we're getting at. Which is awesome. It really is. And I think if you can model some of your own self-reflection, and I like that, the sort of metaphor around reducing the noise, because it kind of relates to sort of that same setting the stage, right? You want to make sure that you're going into a place that feels neutral, for both you and your child. You want to make sure that you've kind of done some of this self-reflection on yourself, but it's also okay to have ongoing conversations around mental health with your family and your loved ones. And so that idea of modeling self-care for your child can be really important. So if you can, you know, we call it practice the pause, but it sounds very similar. If you can find a way to kind of, when the emotionality starts to creep up, you can kind of hit the pause button for a minute, take a breath, regroup, and then re-enter more present and more aligned with the reason and your intention of having the conversation in the first place. It goes so much further than, um, you know, coming in from a place where you, there is a lot of noise and a lot of chaos. And so I really, I really like that metaphor. It's a, it's a beautiful one. There are a number of things that young people are experiencing that everyone is, could be experiencing on any given day. What would you say are some of the common concerns, mental health concerns that young people are experiencing? Yeah, I would say right now, post pandemic, the biggest one that we're seeing in, at Newport with our teens and young adults really is this anxiety, this heightened level of anxious worry, fear. I think, you know, one of the, the big sort of elephants in the room, so to speak, especially in schools, is around this post-pandemic, like coming back in and what that looked like and felt like for our kids, for our parents. You know, I think we can all agree the sort of collective trauma that we all bore as living in the United States from 2020 until post-pandemic has been something that we're all experiencing differently, but we're all experiencing it. And so knowing that um, you know our kids are presenting with this heightened level of anxiety can somewhat be attributed to the experiences, the lived experiences of the last 18 to 24 months. And so we're seeing a lot of that anxiety. We're seeing a lot of depression. We're seeing a lot of um, body dysmorphia and eating behaviors that are off. 
if it's not eating disorders, it's disordered eating. People are just having this strange relationship with food and exercise and health in general. We're seeing a lot of rapport issues. So kids are really struggling with relationships, whether it's relating to each other with social situations in person, feeling awkward, all of that social emotional learning that kids, especially teenagers, are sort of going through the steps of in real time was taken away when we went into isolation and lockdown and it started to shift. And so we're noticing that we're noticing a lot of the bullying behaviors happening, you know, over the internet, a lot of addiction to social media, a lot of numbing through social media, that idea of like, just not feeling anything because you're just like scrolling endlessly on social media, a lot of gaming addiction. And so it's just been this heightened level of mental instability that is coming back into the world post-pandemic that we're really trying to sort out at this point. And do y'all address all of that at Newport, each of the things that you talked about? I know you do eating disorder, trauma, substance use. Do y'all do gaming as well? We do to a certain extent. And so what we'll do is we'll do a comprehensive um, assessment during the intake process. And, you know, we're not a one-stop fits all. Our real philosophy stems around attachment wounds and ruptures in the family system and how that's kind of replicating itself in relationships and in mental health. That being said, we work with kids who have substance use, eating disorders, and all kinds of mental health issues, as well as process addictions, so things like gaming and internet addictions. But if we do the assessment and we feel like the behavior could be better helped in another environment, we will by all means recommend vetted programming that's specialized to that particular um, adolescent's needs. And so that's really our goal. Our goal is to get an idea of what it is that the kid is dealing with at the moment in time that the parent's calling us. And then our job is that that parent is then held and supported through the process of finding the best treatment program for their child, whether it's within Newport or not. That's great. That that really lines up with our own way of being in this space is Archway is not necessarily the place for everyone. But we are a place to come if you're looking for resources or information, because we just want to make sure families get what they need and that the team gets what they need. And if we're it, great. And if we're not, then we just want to be a a resource. So all of your facilities are located mainly on the West Coast. So we have program locations all over the country right now. We have okay. programs on the West Coast. We're in Southern California, Northern California, so the San Francisco Bay Area. And then we're in Seattle, Washington, and Port Townsend, Washington, so the, the Pacific Northwest. We have residential program locations in Minnesota and Utah, so that's kind of like the middle part of the country. And then we have East Coast-based residential services as well in Connecticut and Virginia. Yeah, so we're we're sort of all over the map. In whatever way the parent now knows, okay, my child is, has some sort of potential issue or significant issue. Maybe they saw the signs because they were a parent, or maybe during conversation it was it came to light, okay, this is something that's going on. Then what? What does the parent do when they're now confronted with this realization that, okay, something's going on? What are some of the steps a parent can take? 
Yeah, I think once your child confides in you that that there's something going on with them, the biggest thing is to ask for help. You know, you now have this knowledge, you know, no matter what your background is, you really need to call in some professionals to kind of help you navigate this situation. And so, like I said, it could be someone at the school. It could be a trusted coach. It could be a national resource, like, you know, the National Crisis Hotline or Suicide Prevention Hotlines. And so there are nationally based resources as well as locally based professionals who could really help support you and your family through this process. And so really, it comes down to who do you trust and how can they best help you guys move forward together as a family through this? I know in some families, there's stigma still exists, right? And so I know some families are even hesitant to talk to it with, like a mom would be hesitant to talk to it about it with her sister, with her brother. And it's sometimes difficult to discuss these things with coworkers because of that, you know, stigma. Do you hear from families about some of the, some of the hesitancies they have about why they're afraid to reach out? Absolutely. It's an interesting dichotomy because one of the benefits of the social media generation is that there is a destigmatization of mental health that's happening. We hear kids talking about their mental health on their social media platforms. And so kids really have more um, ability to engage in these dialogues, not necessarily with their parents, but with other people easier, with less of a stigma, with less guilt and shame associated with it than sometimes the parents do. I think it's important, again, to go back to that original idea of like, it takes a village. And so if you're feeling guilty or shame around the mental health issues that are happening in your family, maybe you go to somebody outside of your family. Maybe those concerns get more directed to a professional. And I know we'll link up Newport's uh, clinical outreach folks with the audience today. These are a national team that we have in place who really take the first phone calls from parents and help provide resources and support for them. And so that a professional in that term, there's going to be no judgment associated with that phone call. So sometimes parents feel more comfortable making that phone call outside of the family. Other times that shame and that guilt is something that is a connection point for parents to feel with other parents. So places like support groups, Al-Anon, you know, we have a virtual parent support group that you don't need to be a part of Newport Healthcare to come and be a part of. They're held virtually. You can oftentimes gain so much hope from other people's stories that it can empower you to then share in the discussion. And so there's different avenues depending on how your child is presenting to you. What I will say is that there's really no other option than calling 911 if your child is admitting that they're actively suicidal or have thoughts of hurting themselves or someone else, right? That's the immediate phone call that needs to happen. And then once crisis response comes out to help stabilize your child, the rest of the supports can come into play from the social workers on the floor. But other than that, parents come to us in very different capacities from different professionals, from different support systems. And, you know, it's our job to really help get them connected so they don't feel like they're alone. When you were saying that, I was I was thinking about what we were talking about earlier. And then, you know, my own experience and those of, of many parents that I've seen one of the things for parents that is stigmatizing 
And I know like there's cultural issues in play here. There's a lot of different issues. But for just the purpose of this conversation, I know that the stigma for me and who I was willing to talk to and who I wasn't really centered when I quieted my mind, like Andrew was talking about, like Dr. Reedy talks about, is the stigma that would be attached to me as a parent and my lack of parenting or my inability to parent it effectively. Or you hear people say, you know, well, if the parents would have raised them right, then they wouldn't be doing X, Y, and Z. And I really thought I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing. So like A, B, and C, and I didn't understand the equation and how it was coming out. It wasn't making sense to me. So I just want to reiterate those support groups are vital because there you're not the one parent whose kid has gone awry. Everyone there is experiencing something that is similar that you can identify with. That is critical for a parent's mental health. Critical. It is. And when you come to those parent support groups, what you'll find is that oftentimes the faces that are on that Brady Bunch Zoom screen look and sound and are in a family system like yours. And so this idea of like it happens to other people or it happens to bad parents or it happens in this community and not in my community, all of that goes away Because the reality of the situation is, is that anyone can have a mental health issue at any time. It can be genetic. It can be circumstantial. It can be compartmentalized. It can be, you know, processed through. But really the fact that you're willing to show up for your child in a way that is going to be hard for you speaks volumes to the parent that you are. And, you know, I I often talk to families, I have the honor of talking to hundreds of families every year who entrust me with their stories. And oftentimes it's the very first or second call that they're sharing this with somebody. And some of the things that come up for these family members that call me are, I feel guilty about not parenting in the way that I should have, which, listen, If there were as many books about how to parent a kid as there are about how to be pregnant, we would be in a better scenario. But there's no like one, you know, situation that works for everyone. Kids are hard. And guess what? Kids have friends who also influence their decision making. And so it's not always the parenting that is the cause or the blame point. But the fact that parents are willing to make that phone call, even with all of those feelings, that self-doubt, that shame, that guilt, that like, I'm going to be tagged as a bad parent, but I'm going to make this phone call anyway, speaks volumes to that person's character and their ability to parent. And so I think in validating that for people, we're creating a pathway not only to destigmatize, but also to de-guilt some of those feelings from folks right off the bat. Some of the qualitative research done on the young people's programs here in Houston by Angela Nash with UT Health, she found that what can't be discounted, something that's very important to young people in recovery with mental health disorders is when they hear a peer share their experience, um, when they hear someone else share that they too have something going on. And parents that I interact with say the same thing. When they heard other parents say, I had this going on, that that was impactful. 
And so I'm really glad to hear that you guys have sort of that open forum for parents. Can you, uh, I guess, reiterate or tell us just a little bit more about that? Is it a phone number? Is it a website? What is it that y'all have available for families that are just curious or yes, want to hear other parents? Yeah, no. And, you know, I think that research holds truth for parents and, you know, caretakers in general. Um, no one wants to feel alone. And so our opportunities for families lies in our ability to connect them to other people because we know that sharing other people's sharing and listening to other people's stories creates hope right if nothing else it creates hope and so we offer several opportunities for parents who are just looking at supportive services so one of the things that we offer is a virtual parent support group for the families of potential kids who might come into Newport, they can share. It's run on an app. So they would have to call our admissions line and give some initial information. We can connect them through that. We also offer to people who are seeking residential treatment services or partial care program treatment services for their children, the ability to connect with an alumni family. And so that's a live call that happens. And oftentimes parents will give us some kind of demographic. You know, my son is 15. He's really struggling with body image and some socialization. And we'll try and match them with a family who's had a similar lived experience with their child. And then it's like just a conversation, right? And sometimes the conversation's about how did you navigate the steps to get your child help? Sometimes the conversation is like, I just want to hear that you got out of this and that your son is doing better. And so those conversations are private. We just make the connection and we allow that to kind of facilitate itself. So that's another option. The third thing that we're able to offer is the last Friday of every month through our alumni app, we offer a story of hope. And so that is one of our alumni parents and or alumni themselves offering and sharing their story, their story of overcoming mental health issues, and their ongoing recovery journey. And so those are hour-long Zoom calls. You can come come in from anywhere. You're not even on the screen, so it's totally anonymous, and you get to just listen. And I got to tell you, it's one of the most powerful experiences that, that I've had in this field, because to know that you're even a tiny little atom in the connection to helping that kid find mental well-being on the other side of this journey is so inspiring and empowering as a professional, but also the tribute to their parents is like palpable in these stories. And so it's it can be a really powerful moving experience for both clients and for family members. Your approach with clients is from a holistic point of view. How would you, in a nutshell, sort of describe what it means to look at the person holistically? And what are some of the benefits of doing that? Broad question, I know. It's a great question. (laughs) I don't know if I can eloquently answer it in a few sentences, but what I would say is that when we talk about the holistic healing journey, we know that it's not linear, right? So someone's not going to come in and all of a sudden every day be sort of on this trajectory in terms of well-being. We know it's oftentimes more of a roller coaster ride. And I think anyone who's experienced any kind of emotionality over the course of life, any kind of trauma has experienced that. When we talk about holistic healing, we're looking at the person from the perspective of different lenses, like where do they live? They live in their body, in their mind, and in their spirit. They also live at home, in their community, and in their schools, right? So there's a a sort of realistic viewpoint of where this 
teenager is like living and then from a body perspective where they're living. And so our job is to help them find better mechanisms of coping and succeeding in each of those areas than what they were doing with their maladaptive behaviors. And so that journey looks different for everyone. We're looking at, you know, from a clinical perspective, what is it that's engaging for this kid? If a kid loves art, that's what we're going to use as the clinical intervention to help unlock some of what's going on. If the kid loves photography, bring a camera. You know, we'll do a whole thing for you around this. We have horses. We have music therapy. We look at nutrition. You know, we know that what you put in your body fuels your gut and your gut controls your emotions. It also controls your physical health. And so that's important. And teaching kids, you know, how do I cook? What do I do? (laughs) Are important skills to learn as a young adult person kind of moving into that young adulthood phase of life. Um, Academics. You know, a lot of our kids come in and Um, It looks very different for kids. Some kids are like the uber successful, lots of pressure that's just quelling with anxiety. And then other kids are really struggling. The emotional piece is so overwhelming that academics have taken a, you know, a slide. And so we want to reset that scale for them. So academics is another place where we're looking at, you know, the full assessment, the full picture. And then also, you know, what do you love? What do you love to do? Like one of my favorite questions when I have the opportunity to talk to kids before they come to us is like, they can tell me every diagnosis and bad thing that has ever happened to them. But when you ask them, what do you love to do? There is like a pregnant pause that happens in the conversation most times. And it speaks to when chaos ensues, whether it's physically, mentally, spiritually, The things that we love the most often get shelved because you're just surviving. And so asking a kid what they love to do is one of the most powerful questions you can ask as a provider because then you know what the carrot is to get them to engage in the healing process. And so we love asking our kids, like, what do you love to do? And when they tell us, we believe them. And sometimes they can't tell us. Sometimes they're like, ugh. I used to really love to wrestle, but now I'm not like really doing anything. You know, I love to whatever, drink. And then it's about reframing it for them. What did you love about wrestling? And can we like reignite that passion for you in another healthier way? I find that when you look at kids from a holistic healing perspective, you find the strength, you find the passion, and then that's what you use to help heal. You put that very eloquently. (laughs) In a lot of sentences, but. (laughs) Thank you, Kristen, so much for joining us today. It was great to have you on. We appreciate all your wisdom. Thank you so much. I appreciate your input. And, you know, as speaking to a clinician and parents, like it's, it's really, really powerful. So your kids are lucky and your families are lucky to have a, a school around like you all that's so supportive and willing to hold space for them from a place of understanding. It's really cool. And we're big fans of what you guys do at Newport. So before we go, can you tell us where our listeners could find you? Sure. So the immediate easy pathway is through NewportHealthcare.com. That's our website. You can also look at NewportAcademy.com, which is specific to our adolescent programming. Healthcare includes our young adult programming as well. 
So if you're the parent of a teenager who may be struggling and you have some questions, there's great resources on our website. We also have this amazing clinical outreach team that I kind of alluded to a little bit ago. And Samantha Watson is our rep. So she will provide you with you know services individually if you have questions about what do I do next now that I know that my child's struggling. And they can go, y'all have sites from the East Coast to the West Coast and everywhere in between? We do. We're located nationally. We have residential and outpatient levels of care. Um, And our website is easily accessible. You can look up our locations. And like I said, Sam's a great resource. And we'll make sure that we include all of this in the show notes for our listeners as well. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to A Way Through, brought to you by Archway Academy. Enjoying this conversation? We kindly invite you to subscribe to A Way Through wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For more episodes like this, visit us on archwayacademy.org backslash podcast. Are you a medical professional and would you like to join this conversation around teen health and recovery? Or are you a parent with a teen struggling with addiction? You can visit our website at archwayacademy.org to schedule a tour to visit our school. Thanks for listening to today's show. This is A Way Through.